Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And I'm really looking forward to today's show. It's a reunion for me with an old friend that we haven't spoken together in years, but uh, I thought of her lately and thought, whoa, perfect, perfect timing. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Regina Dawn Akers. Regina Dawn Akers is a spiritual teacher and lifelong student who uh, had a major awakening through A Course in Miracles and then went on to bring through to this world uh, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the New Testament known as NTI, and then went on to uh, connect with the energies of uh, the great non-dual sage and teacher, Ramana Maharshi. And uh, I'm sure Regina's been up to a lot of other interesting things over the last few years since we've spoken last. But uh, I wanted to bring her on uh, at this particular time because... um, because the world is in is going through so many changes that uh, I'm interested in talking with Regina about uh, not only her journey up to this point, but also her thoughts about the integration of the non-dual perspective with uh, responsible, vibrant participation in the world, kind of along the lines of uh, the famous phrase of being in the world, but not of the world. So, Regina, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you, David. Do you want to take some time uh, for the listeners that don't know your story and kind of bring, it, bring the listeners up to speed on your journey in a way that will uh, really bring them into the conversation when we start talking about um, what's going on today? Sure, I can give the, uh, the short version of the story. Um, for anyone who's interested, there's a, a longer version of the story, uh, a Buddha at the gas pump interview, if anybody really wants to hear it in more detail. Um, but I will give the shorter version of the story. Um, and I suppose that begins in 2004, April of 2004 when I decided to begin the study of A Course in Miracles. And I decided to begin it while I was on vacation because I was a busy, professional, single mom. And it just seemed like vacation would give me a little more time to give it um, a, a better start, a more concentrated start. So I took the Course in Miracles with me on a Disney cruise. And the morning that I was planning to start the workbook and the text, um, I decided to say a prayer because I felt like I was embarking on a holy adventure. (laughs) 
And I don't remember what I was saying in the prayer. I, I was praying, I being the, the little self, which then I, I, you know, I just thought of as me. Um, so I was praying, but while I was praying, it was like something came down over me. Um, you could say something holy hijacked the prayer. <laughs> and uh, I was overcome with this desire to surrender the rest of my life. Uh, which is interesting because I didn't really have that intention prior to, to this happening. And I heard myself say, I will learn anything you want me to learn. I will do anything you want me to do. Just please make me helpful for, or useful, I think I said, useful for the rest of my life. And um, after that, I began reading and studying A Course in Miracles. Now, what I didn't know was that my life had just changed, um, and I didn't realize that right away. Uh, the only thing that I noticed right away was that I was able to be very vigilant in my practice of The Course in Miracles workbook. You know, so if you were asked, for example, to remember something every 15 or 20 minutes, uh, I was able to do that. Uh, if you were able, if you were asked to, you know, take a certain amount of time for a particular meditative exercise five times a day uh, or once an hour or whatever, I was able to do that, which to me was a bit amazing uh, because, again, I had this, this was even after vacation when I went back to my very busy life and I was a director in a national company. So I had back to back meetings, you know, I was always in business meetings and yet somehow, um, it worked out that I was able to really be very vigilant with the practice of the Course in Miracles workbook. Um, starting in around July, when I was on workbook lesson 77, so this would have been the 77th day of this journey, um, I, I had a vision. And this vision, as it turns out, was the first of many. And over the next several months, I had many, many visions. And these visions seemed to come to teach me uh, the teachings of A Course in Miracles. Uh, you know, it was the way that the inner teacher first reach out, re reached out to me was through these visions. And so now I, I should mention that I wasn't in any course group. Um, I wasn't uh, connected to any course teachers. I really was just doing this on my own at home as a self-study. And so all of the teaching showed up from within me through these visions. And then in about, um, it was in November, so I had started in April, so I'd been doing the course workbook for about half a year then. So in November, I had one particular vision where I was in a deep, dark cavern, and it was so dark that you really couldn't see anything at all. Um, but I intuitively knew there were many ways to get out of the cavern, but nobody could find these exits because it was so dark. And so I stood there with an armful of lit candles and people would come up to me and I would hand them a candle and then they would take the candle and they would find their own way uh, out of the, the cavern. And when I came out of that vision, I felt like that vision was a calling. It had a different quality to it than the previous visions, which I would have called educational. This vision felt like a calling. And I did not want to get involved in guessing what it meant. 
So I went to the computer keyboard and I just put my hands on the keyboard and I said a prayer that was something like, if you're trying to tell me, uh, you know, just tell me so that I can understand. And my fingers began typing, even though there was no thought in my mind at all, and I was not intentionally typing anything. My experience was reading off of the, com the computer monitor as the fingers typed. And I read a message to me uh, from, you know, what A Course in Miracles would call the Holy Spirit, but it introduced itself to me as the teacher of God. And uh, it, it asked me to write for it and then teach what I write. And it told me that's how I would learn. Um, which, you know, was a rather amazing experience. I mean, I've met a lot of people who now, I mean, not back then, but I've met a lot of people who seem to have a, a, a goal of being a teacher of A Course in Miracles. Uh, the thought had never crossed my mind. I, you know, I didn't, it just never occurred to me at all to teach it. I was only the student. So this was a, a, a pretty surprising experience. And it actually brought up a lot of fear. And um, the best way to describe the fear, it kind of had two layers to it. The first layer of fear was this fear that I was going crazy because I'm a, a pretty simple person from uh, Kansas, from a very traditional area. Uh, I wasn't aware of new age religion or anything like that. So this was all rather new to me. And the visions were one thing, but when this message came, um, I don't know, it just kind of felt deeper and threw me into this new level. And I just became very fearful that I was going crazy. But that was only the upper level fear. There was even a deeper fear, which I was consciously aware of, that was even more frightening. <laughs> and that was the fear that I wasn't going crazy. In other words, the fear of God, the fear, you know, is, it was like up until this day, God has been a really nice idea and it was fun to play with it but now it was just getting way too close. That's really what it felt like. And it, and it really, really scared me. Um, so, so I needed to spend some time letting go of the fear. And once I let go of the fear, uh, I received guidance to go see a movie. The movie was Shall We Dance with um, Jennifer Lopez and Richard Gere. And there's a scene in the movie where she is teaching him to ballroom dance and he's not doing that well. He's a little stiff. I think he steps on her feet. <laughs> um, and so what she says as the teacher, she says, stop. Don't think. Don't move unless you feel it. And I knew those were my instructions for how I was to write with the Holy Spirit and how I was to teach. It was never to come from me. It was never to, to be my ideas about what needs to be written or what needs to be taught. And I, even though that's very few instructions, I understood them perfectly. Uh, so I never, I never wrote anything. <laughs> um, but what, what happened uh, is I began to feel writings come. I could feel when they were coming. Um, or I would have a question and I would ask a question and then I could feel the answer coming. And so writings began to come. And at this phase in my journey, the, the visions kind of faded into the background. They had been the primary teacher. They faded into the background and I began to hear 
uh, well, hear an inner voice is the way I word it, but that's not 100% true. It, the inner voice didn't have an audible sound like my voice does now. It, it's the same thing as like when you, you can hear your thoughts, you can hear your thinking, except that it had a different quality to it. Um, it, it was clearly not my thinking. It was uh, thinking coming from beyond the little self. Uh, I didn't know where it was going. I had to listen to it in, in order to um, understand it, you know, just like you would listen to someone else speaking. Um, so this began to happen, and, and this began to happen almost daily after a couple of months. At first, when I was contemplating my course workbook lesson for the day, this inner voice would come, and it would give me more. I, again, teaching me. It was teaching me with great, great clarity. What also began to happen is I began to receive um, very clear guidance to leave my job, which is very fearful, <laughs> and to move. Uh, and I, I did. I moved to North Carolina. And um, three days before the move, well, actually six days before the move, I finished the course workbook. Uh, then three days later, which was three days before the move, uh, the inner voice asked me to read the New Testament and to realize that the New Testament is just a symbol and that if I would realize I didn't understand the symbol, it would interpret it for me. So we moved to North Carolina, and uh, after I was settled there, one morning I heard the voice tell me it was time to begin. And for the next 13 and a half months, what I did was I read the New Testament. I started at the very beginning with the book of Matthew. And I would read until I felt an intuitive prompt to stop reading. And then the inner voice would talk to me and, and give an interpretation of what that meant, an interpretation that points towards truth or towards awakening to one true self. And I was just like a secretary, just uh, taking notes I imagine that my experience was very similar to Helen Shuckman's experience of scribing A Course in Miracles, except I think there was one primary difference between Helen and me. I think Helen was the willing scribe, um, and I was the willing student. So what I would do after a certain amount of writing would come each day is I would spend the rest of the day contemplating and practicing that teaching. It kind of became like my new course workbook. So I was um, the very first student of the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the New Testament, which, um, which we call NTI for short. NTI stands for New Testament Interpretation. So what happened as I was receiving this is I was um, awakening you know, day by day, I was awakening more and more and more as, as the student of this book that was coming through me. So when the book was done and I was sending it off to the publisher, um, <coughs> excuse me one moment. I needed to get a little drink. <laughs> when the book was done and I was sending it off to the publisher, I said a prayer, <coughs> and I asked the Holy Spirit to please send me something else that would take me further into love. And by love, you know, I really meant awakening, further into awakening. 
And what ended up happening was that I was led into a relationship that ended up lasting a year and a half. Although while the relationship was lasting, I, I didn't know that it was that temporary. I thought that it was going to be a permanent relationship, which was important. It was important to think, oh my God, I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, because that, that thinking that this was permanent um, pushed me into a purification phase. Uh, the person that I was in relationship with, it was a man from, from Paris, France. And our cultures, the cultures that we were raised in were extremely different. So that at the level of form, we really had nothing in common at all. Uh, and living together, we, we were able to really push each other's buttons. <coughs> Sorry, my, <coughs> my throat is drying out. <coughs> Do you want me to talk for a little bit? Sure, just for about a minute, that would be good. Okay. <laughs> So, um, you know, obviously your sincerity and your willingness to learn was really, really strong from the beginning. Um, and your dedication to knowing truth obviously, you know, had a strong fire from the very beginning. Uh, one area where you might fill in the blank, for me at least, is you talked about having, you know, very little conscious exposure to um, cutting-edge approaches to spirituality, et cetera, yes. um, and that you were from Kansas, et cetera, et cetera. So one gap for me is how did the, how did the girl from Kansas get A Course in Miracles in her hands in the first place? Yeah, the short story there is that I... Um I did have a seeking of truth that was happening. I need I had, you to get closer to your microphone. Oh, sorry. I did have a seeking of truth that had been happening in me since I was around 11 or 12. Um, but what I had done was I had looked for it in, uh, in Christian religions. And I had tried different Christian religions and, you know, kind of one by one realized that's not it. <laughs> and then I, ended, I also did this really large uh, research project where I was researching the beliefs of all of these Christian religions in America. And I just kept coming to dead ends. I kept saying, no, that can't be it. That can't be it. Um, so you could say it was like the netty netty of Christian religion. <laughs> <laughs> and And when I finally... You could say I gave up, and I think I might have thought that I failed because I just couldn't find a truth. And it was after I gave up that I saw Marianne Williamson on Oprah Winfrey in the 90s. Okay. And this, and this is what introduced me to A Course in Miracles. But at that time, when I tried to read A Course in Miracles, I couldn't understand it. When I tried to do the workbook, um, I had that typical experience of, you know, forgetting all day long to do the lesson. <laughs> And so I ended up just kind of putting it away and forgetting about it. And that was in the, the mid-90s. And so it was 2004 when, um, when I felt to take it out and give it another try. Okay. Well, let's get back to your story. You were talking about your relationship with this gentleman where in the world of form, you guys were really different and it was pressing your buttons and go ahead and pick up your story from there. Sure. Yeah. This was a very intense relationship. 
In fact, the people who didn't fully understand what I was doing um, really thought that I was being emotionally abused and that something was very wrong and that I should be getting out of the relationship. Um, but my perspective was completely different because I knew that I knew that I was healing. I knew that I was going through purification. I knew that this was a fast track. I knew that everything that was in me that needed to be seen and, and be let go was coming up through this relationship. So I never had the feeling of being um, abused uh, in any way. I only had the the feeling of, of, um, of purification. And there were just a, a lot of different um, false beliefs that were exposed uh, that I was able to see through, that I was able to let go of. In fact, um, they died ent entirely. Uh, you know, because when a belief dies entirely, you no longer see it or experience it anywhere in the world. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's not true. <laughs> you know, just like, just like when you quit believing in Santa Claus, you know, you may still see Santas, but you, you have no, no idea that, you, you know, you never think that they're real. You know, you're, it, you just know they're not true. And so um, many beliefs died in me, like the belief in rejection, uh, the belief in unworthiness, the belief in um, that one person could use another person, uh, just uh, uh, the belief in hate, the belief in hate died. Um, and so when I came out of this year and a half relationship, um, my mind was significantly different. You know, if you think of the mind as like a, a cloudy sky, you know, I don't know how many of the clouds, but let's say 70% of the clouds have been cleared in this one year and a half, in this one relationship. So as a result, there was a lot more space between the clouds, uh, a lot more peace. And then there were still things that came up after the relationship, but, uh, at, but it was just wasn't that intense. You're like, I might have six months of peace and then something would come up and I would immediately go back to the practice of looking at it and letting it go. And then another six months of peace. And, and now, um, now it, I mean, there's not even, I, I haven't experienced in a long time, I should say, you never know what might be coming. But there aren't even, I haven't experienced in a long time, even what I would call a full cloud. You know how every now and then when you look up at the sky, the sky is perfectly blue, except for like this little tiny wisp. <laughs> of a, it's not even a cloud. It's like a wisp of, 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 a, of a little line. And every now and then I'll experience a little wisp very briefly. And I immediately look at it with the same awareness that healed the big clouds. But um, but just all of this healing has, has occurred, and the vast majority of it occurred in that year and a half. Uh, so it was a very intense relationship, but an extremely useful relationship. Um, but it did come to an end, and it came to an end, uh, at least at the level of form, because he, he wanted out of the relationship, and so, um, and so it ended. And after the relationship ended, I went through uh, three months of what I would call increasing ego again. And the reason for this, as far as I can tell, is that when I was in this intense relationship, I had to be really, really, really focused all the time because it was so challenging. And when he left, it like got easier again. <laughs> and as a result of it getting easier again, I, I lost my vigilance temporarily. And when I lost my vigilance, the ego kind of came back. And um, when the ego came back and started just chattering all the time again, uh, 
I wouldn't say the ego was any worse than it had been before. It's just that when you have experienced long periods of times where, when it's not there and it comes back, it's, it's like a hundred or a thousand times more painful. And so I couldn't bear it. And so what I did was I said another prayer. And this time I asked for something that would take me to the next step. And that's when I was guided to order a book from Amazon.com from Ramana Maharshi. Now, I didn't know Ramana Maharshi. I had heard the name, but that's the, that was the extent of my knowledge. I had heard the name. And again, I had never been involved in anything that didn't have a Christian flavor to it, even A Course in Miracles. And of course, NTI is, you know, from the Christian tradition. So I ordered this book that I felt guided to order. And when it came, I thought that it was just going to you know, be everything to me because it was guided. But when I opened it, it used all of these words. They're actually Sanskrit words, but then I'd never even heard of Sanskrit. I mean, I was so ignorant. So there's all of these words that I didn't understand. And the book just made no sense. And, and I didn't like it at all. I, I only read it for like two minutes and decided it wasn't for me. And I threw it down. And um, it laid on a table for a couple of weeks. And then one day I was sitting near that table meditating. And this book has on it a really lovely picture of Ramana Maharshi. And I think that's the real reason I was guided to get the book now. Uh, it was because of the picture. Because what happened on this one day when I was meditating near the book is that the, the picture on the cover of the book uh, began to have life. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like it would come out of the book and be like a three-dimensional picture, you know, a three-dimensional man. And then it would go back in and then it would come out and it would go back in. And it was actually disturbing me a little bit. And then I, I heard the inner voice say, ask him what he wants to say to you. And because, of course, after years of, of listening to this inner voice, I had great trust for it. So I asked Ramana Maharshi what he wanted to say to me. And that's when um, it's, like, it's like he woke up inside of me. And, and, and he was very different than the, the previous inner voice because the previous inner voice, although it was very, very clear, it was very impersonal. And when Ramana Maharshi woke up in me, I could, I could feel him. Even though I didn't, I've never met him, I could feel him. Um, and, and I did know him. And I also uh, knew as, as he began to speak and I began to hear his clarity, I, this was the first time that I knew that I was really listening to myself. When I listened to the Holy Spirit, it told me many, many times that I was listening to myself. Uh, that's all throughout NTI, you know, I am you. <laughs> but I always felt like the student listening to some divine other. Uh, but with Ramana Maharshi, there was something so familiar that I, that I came to know myself. And I knew beyond any doubt that this was the real me, not, not him, the man, but who he, what he woke up to, the self, and therefore uh, was demonstrating for me, that was me. I was that same self that he is. And, um, and that ended up also being published as a book. It's called The Teachings of Inner, Inner Ramana. But for me, it was just um, an incredible, incredible experience that it's like the, the Course in Miracles and NTI and the, the relationship with this man from Paris took me 
to a certain point of purification of the mind, which uh, got a lot of junk out of the way. But then what Ramana Maharshi did was made me aware of the space as myself. Uh, right, right. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds like the, uh, the constructs of you being the little you and the other being the big other, that started to collapse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, you know, it's interesting because in the prayer I asked for the next step. And that's exactly what came. You know, I was given exactly what I asked for. There's no doubt that that, you know, the purification. I love, of course, in miracles says that miracles are everyone's right, but purification is necessary first. And so really, you know, with the course and with NTI and with this relationship, I went through the purification. And now I was ready for the, the capital M miracle, which is the shift in identity. Right. Um. Before we go further with your story, I think it would be useful for me to take a little time and talk about parts of my story that will elucidate certain things so then when we continue on, uh, the conversation can be even more valuable. Is that okay? Yeah, in fact, I think we've covered the primary components of my story, so it's a great time. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't mean to cut you off because I think your story takes us up to a few years ago. So there's, I'm sure there's more to the story, but uh, I just feel guided to tell you some things about my story because it'll, it'll bring to focus some things I want to talk about later. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> so I want to tell this story for the purpose of bringing out some of the things that I've experienced and I've seen a lot of other people experience as they work with A Course in Miracles or Ramana Maharshi's teachings and other non-dual approaches. <clears throat> some of the strengths and weaknesses that I've seen in those paths. And that is that I uh, was first exposed to A Course in Miracles in 1978 and uh, uh, dove into the course and got about two-thirds of the way through. And um, I stopped at that time. I was 22 years old because it stopped being real for me. I was having, <clears throat> it was bringing up a lot of anger, and I didn't have the tools at the time for processing it, and so it just started sounding like, words and there was a lot of static on the line on my end and I wasn't able to continue to get value out of it and so I I didn't judge it but I just realized that it wasn't working for me at the time and I put it down and um, proceeded on my journey and did eventually connect with other teachers and teachings that helped me to give me some skills of ways of being with and working with my emotional, my emotions and my emotional body, and to some extent my physical body as well, that um, I'm sure is part of this purification that um, Regina's pointing to. And I didn't think much about the Course for a long time after that. And then, uh, and then I came across Gary Renard in his first book, 
Disappearance of the Universe and was really drawn to reading that. And that, um, that helped me to connect more with the divine ideas in the course. And I went back to the course and I completed the course. And of course, I had done a lot of other things, you know, in that interim period of time. And um, when I got done with the course, I uh, could see why so many people either don't complete it or don't have as fully satisfying an experience as you had with it. Because I find that even though the course is, um, it, you know, the, the text is a wonderful, brilliant uh, way of using the mind to go beyond the mind, uh, just brilliant. Um, and the workbook certainly uh, follows that same logic. The, um, that course doesn't give people a lot of practical tools for dealing with the purification process, dealing with emotions, dealing with the physical body, and the challenges that the physical body goes through during that kind of purification. And... Uh, doesn't really address the issues of uh, citizenship and uh, transformation at the level of uh, organization, community, um, uh, social structures, <clears throat> etc. And so, you know, a lot of people I see come out of the course uh, with kind of a sophomoric understanding and a a lot of areas of ignorance when it comes to um, human knowledge. And uh, um, so I see a lot of challenges with um, these kinds of non-dual approaches that um, I've come to the conclusion from where I am now, we're recording this at 20 December of, uh, late December of 2016, that for almost everyone, like maybe 98, 99%, that these kinds of teachings need to be rounded out and balanced out with other kinds of teachings that focus on some of the things we've talked about, before, what I mentioned a little bit earlier, so that people maybe have a little more uh, sophistication and appreciation for uh, psychological forces involved, physiological forces involved, uh, social, economic, historical, etc. That, that these, this non-dual um, context gives people a powerful um, a, a place to come from to engage in the world, to engage in these areas of study. But um, it seems to me that most people do sooner or later um, need to round themselves out as human beings in that way. And to me, a weakness of a lot of the non-dual teachings is, although I see that beginning to change, is that they don't really address that head on, that they tend to um, discount that to some extent in a way that I don't think is of optimal service. And so I wanted to make those remarks because... I think you're in a unique position 
as a person who had made your way in the world and established yourself before all of this, and also your unique position as a dedicated student, but also someone who's been in the role of teacher for quite a while now and has seen a lot of what people go through. I thought sharing some of my thoughts and my story in this way could really help to make our conversation even more powerful. And so I just want to turn it back over to you and invite your your sharing about whatever's moving in you in response to what I shared. Yeah, well, I guess I guess I do need to tell, you know, what might be the, the current end of my story. Of course, as you know, the story is still unfolding, but bring you up to, to date. Um, in 2012, I took a year of what I called increased silence. As a single mother, you know, I couldn't take a full year of silence like a monk can. Uh, but my daughter was in school from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., you know, five days a week, or actually here four days a week. Um, and I, I took that time in silence and contemplation. So I was like a partial monk. <laughs> and when I came out of my year of being a partial monk, uh, I received a very clear guidance. And the guidance was to start a church. Uh, and um, the name of the church uh, is Awakening Together. Uh, the purpose of this church was, uh, I would say, the balance that you're speaking of. Uh, the purpose of this church is to bring together all of the teachings that point to truth um, and, and to help people learn discernment between uh, what is not true. Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the name of spirituality uh, that, you know, really is just crap. <laughs> You know, if, if awakening is your goal, I mean, they're just, they're just, they're, they don't actually have anything to do with it. Uh, so to help people learn discernment, the difference between that, which is just a part of the spiritual ego and that, which is really uh, pointing towards truth, uh, to help people learn the practices that take them through purification, letting go, uh, the practices that help people awaken to the true self, uh, but also that balance, um, you know, that balance of the different practices because what I have are the different teachings because what I have observed, I didn't know all of these teachings, but by the way, when I was guided to start Awakening Together, uh, that came to me after I started Awakening Together. I then immersed myself in Buddhism for a time and Kabbalah for a time and Sufism for a time, etc. cetera. Um, but what I came to see is that each one of these teachings that point to truth, each teaching has a strength that, you know, you could say it's better at this part than any of the other teachings, but each teaching also has a weakness or a gap. And when you put them all together, uh, along with discernment, you have balance. And so that's what Awakening Together is. And we are um, an online church. We do have legal church status with the IRS. We had to work very hard to get that because, they, because there wasn't any other online church. They, they kept looking for a building. <laughs> um, but we were able to finally break through that glass ceiling. Um, so I'll stop there and see if you have questions. Um, yeah, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on what are some of the major 
stumbling blocks you've seen in people whose primary approach to spirituality has been along some type of non-dual teaching. And I'd be interested whether you think that uh, that movement is maturing to address some of the things that you're talking about or whether you kind of feel like a lone wolf out there. Um, and then another thing I'd be interested in having you talk about is something that was really, really helpful to me when I was studying NTI, your, your, your first book, The uh, Holy Spirit's Interpretation of the New Testament. Uh, it's getting a little more popular now, but at the time there weren't too many people talking about this. And that is the focus in that book on something that you called or the Holy Spirit called willingness. Mm. And um, the it's interesting because will is the future tense of the verb to be. Mm. And so in my experience, when we're talking about will, true will, we're talking about something that's very deep, very deep in the being, much deeper than the mind, that the, that the motion of the mind is almost a product of will and probably some other things like love and light, but that willingness, um, I see so many people who uh, believe that they're on a spiritual path, but if I look at it from the point of view of willingness, I can see that they're just playing around in the sandbox, that there's not really a willingness, and that the recovery of true will is so important and something that isn't addressed in many paths as directly as it was addressed in NTI. And there's... A, there's a beautiful prayer, kind of, in NTI that was probably the most powerful paragraph in the whole book for me. And that was about a prayer where the prayer basically is the willingness to release the desire to experience anything other than heaven. Or you could substitute wholeness or truth for the word heaven. And that I found that to be if not the most, one of the most powerful prayers that I've ever come across. And uh, I'm always so grateful for you bringing that through. And uh, so I just want to open it up. Also, the other thing that I'd love you to talk about is if there's anything you're inspired to say about the central role of willingness and the role of true will in, in human beings and, in, uh, and along the spiritual path. All right. Well, the first thing you asked about was um, maybe some of the weaknesses or some of the traps uh, in people that maybe focus on a, a pure non-dual path and don't have any balance. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because I do see similar weaknesses, whether the person is studying a path which is simply called non-duality, you know, like the teachings of Ramana Maharshi or Nizargadatta Maharaj, for example, or if a person is just studying A Course in Miracles, um, I often see the same weaknesses. And I think that uh, one primary weakness comes from the teaching that the world is an illusion. And from not having any genuine sight regarding that teaching, 
and having it be a, merely an intellectual teaching. Um, I think it, it leads people to deny what they don't like. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> which of course, you know, is the opposite of purification because purification, you need to look very clearly at everything, you know, especially things that you don't like, things that push your buttons, things that you're afraid of. Um, but instead people use the teaching that the world is an illusion to just say, oh, that's just an illusion. And really what they're doing is not looking at what they fear. Um, the, the teaching that the world is an illusion, just you know, the way the clarity was brought to me, illusion is a, a very simple thing. Illusion is something that appears to be something other than what it is. That's what an illusion is. Something that, but notice there's a something there, something that appears to be um, other than what it is. And of course, the, the most common use of the world illusion is like the magician's illusion. Right, it appears he's making this woman disappear when actually it's just a sophisticated trick. Um, the world, uh, as as I have experienced it um, in mystical experiences, the world is again to put it into words, uh, it's nothing but God. You know, everything is that same essence of God or that same essence of source. And although we think there's a, a great big difference between a, a human and uh, like a coaster, like I have my cup sitting on a coaster, we think there's a great big difference between a human and a coaster. When you get down to the essence, there's actually um, no difference. Uh, even inanimate objects are made of this same uh, living intelligent awareness. And I know this because I have experienced this. And of course, the average person in the world does not look at the world and, and, and say, wow, it's God. Everything is God. You know, the average person in the world, you know, sees a useless coaster and a stubborn person, you know, for example. So, so the, wor the world is an illusion because it is something other than what it appears to be. Uh, but that does not in any way mean that, uh, that we should be denying anything that we fear. Uh, that we should be denying things that we judge strongly against. In fact, if we ever want to get to that vision uh, where we do have the, the knowledge, the, the, it's not physical sight, it's, it's, I'll call it heart sight. It's really heart sight because the physical sight will, sight will still see a coaster, but the heart is aware of the coaster as, you know, as God, as brother, as sameness. Um, so if we ever want to get to that heart site, uh, what we need to do is remove all of the obstacles to uh, its presence. And that's why we don't want to deny anything. And, and there are skills that can teach us, that we can learn that teach us how to look at and release uh, these strong judgments and fears and, and desires and beliefs that are in the way. Um, but we need to look at everything. So using the fact that the world is an illusion to deny uh, the things that we're afraid of or that, that we don't like, you know, like war. You know, I have one friend that is always saying, oh, there's no war out there. Uh, and she's just denying the horrors that she would see if she looked very, very deeply at those things that are occurring in the world. And she's denying all of her fear about it and judgments about it and beliefs about it, right? So, so using the idea that the world is an illusion to deny is an ego 
preservation strategy. Uh, because if we were to look very deeply and, and, and to see through those things, the ego would be thinned out. But because we're not looking, uh, the ego is, is just as strong and just as alive as it's ever been. So it's an ego preservation strategy. Um, does that answer the first question for you? It's only one example, but... Yeah, I think that's a good example. Uh, uh, and, and I think for our purposes, we can go on to the second question that I had. All right. So, um, so willingness... Uh, first of all, just on a personal level, I think one reason that willingness is so emphasized in NTI, or at least this is my experience of it. When I was going through my awakening process, I had all kinds of experiences, and, and they were not all positive. In fact, one thing that I experienced, you talked about the physical. People very seldom talk about the physical. But while I was going through my uh, purification, I would be physically ill um, at least one day a month to where I couldn't even get out of bed. Uh, migraine headaches, upset stomachs, and, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm generally a healthy person, always have been. So the only time I experienced this, this regular illness, you know, this recurring illness, uh, was while I was going through the, the purification phase. So it, it definitely was not always pleasant. <laughs> and, and I'm certain this is why many people avoid it. Um, but what I always had, even in the most unpleasant moments, was I always had willingness. And so Holy Spirit would emphasize that for me because that seemed to be what kept me going. And willingness as I experienced it, if I use a different word, because I've always hated it when teachers used to define a word using the same word. <laughs> so let me see if I can find a different word. Willingness was um, that part of me, I'm trying not to use the word willing, but I'm having a lot of trouble. It was that part of me that was, I'm going to have to use the word willing. Maybe you can help me find another word. It was that part of me that was willing uh, to discover God or truth regardless of what it was. How about the word committed to? Yeah, well, you know, it's even less than committed because uh, willingness is what enabled me to be committed. Right. So, you know, I, I That's guess why I'm saying it's such a deep... It's such a deep aspect of being that we can only pretty much talk about the, the effects of it. Yeah, in fact, let me give an example of a willingness that everyone has experienced. Um, even if they haven't experienced willingness on the spiritual path, they were a child at one time and they experienced the willingness to be an adult. All children have the natural born willingness to be an adult and that's why they play at being an adult. You know, that's why they watch adults. That's why, you know, even if they hate school, they, they go to school, you know, I mean, it, 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 because they're willing to grow up. They have a natural born willingness to be an adult and it gets them through everything they need to get through to finally be an adult. Uh, you know, young, young children have a willingness to learn to walk, a willingness to learn to speak. And so, you know, it's built in. And so that's what willingness is. Willingness is this, like, like this power 
that is so deep within us that, uh, that it keeps us going even when the going gets tough. Yes. Anybody that's ever got a college degree, you know, that wasn't easy for them, they had the willingness to get that degree. And that's why they, they, they made it through. Uh, anyone who has ever been lost in the mountains hiking for two or three weeks and then survived, they survived because of their willingness to live, right? That's what willingness is. And that's how I experienced willingness. So it's the bedrock of everything else that keeps you moving in a particular direction. But it's very natural. It is very natural. Yeah. And, and, and you know, there are people, you know, that at least at this point, uh, you know, you could say that willingness for awakening has not awakened in them yet. And I think that's one thing that sometimes spiritual students need to accept about their friends, their coworkers, their family members. Uh, they're still journeying. You could say everybody's on a spiritual path, everybody, but they're still on the journeying part of the path that's trying out the world, see if they can find what they're looking for here. The willingness to look in a different direction has not awoken in them yet. And that's not good or bad. It's just, it's just what it is. And so sometimes we need to accept that in the people around us and love them right where they're at and not ask them to be different. You know, along those lines, uh, you know, one of the things that comes up regularly for serious spiritual students is the, is the are the challenges that occur when they're in uh, a romantic relationship with someone who either doesn't share that path or doesn't have that same willingness or their intensity of desire for truth is, is not as strong. And, you know, one of the questions that comes up a lot for people on the path is how do you know when to hang in there and work it through like continuing to just use it as a, a purification process? And how do you know when to let it go? Yeah, well, the, the best answer for that is, 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 for some people, not a very good answer, but the best answer for that is um, intuition. Uh, you know, the mind, the mind, all it does is chatter. And it will chatter anything that you will listen to. So if you're in a relationship that doesn't meet, you know, your ideal <laughs> ideas of what a relationship should be, it will chatter, chatter, chatter about how you need to get out of here. But that chatter doesn't feel anything at all like intuition. And learning the difference between intuition and chatter is really important. And when you get to know your intuition, you can check with your intuition. It never tells a story. Never. You'll never find a story in intuition. It won't tell you why you should stay. It won't tell you why you should leave. It will just prompt you to stay or leave. You know, and, and you know, it's like it's like kind of like the little eight ball toy where it only has yes or no answers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it, it will. And if you just trust intuition, if you find that intuition and you trust that intuition, um, it will guide you. And there are you know, there's no rule. I can't say, you know, oh, you will stay in a relationship uh, when it's tough or, oh, you will leave a relationship when it's tough. There literally is no rule. It's, it's, this is a highly individualized path and each circumstance is completely unique. And this is why it's absolutely critical uh, that people put some time and effort into learning the difference between the chattering mind and intuition. 
the chattering mind doesn't want anything except your attention. It doesn't care whether you're happy. It doesn't care whether you're unhappy. It doesn't care whether you're safe. It doesn't care whether you're unsafe. It will tell you it cares, but it doesn't. It just wants your attention. That's all it wants. And it'll say whatever it has to say to get you to listen. So it will tell you, you got to get out of this relationship. You got to get out of this relationship. You got to get out of this relationship. You get out of the relationship. And the next thing you're going to hear is, oh, it was so much better in that relationship. <laughs> you know, it's just sucking your attention. But the intuition cares. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah. a human quality to it. It cares and it cares about you and everyone. You know, it, it cares in a, in, a, in a very genuine, very universal way. And uh, if you can just tune into that, it will guide you perfectly. Um, and, you know, it, it does change. Like you may stay in a relationship, stay in a relationship, stay in a relationship. And then one day you check and time to go. Right. So you have to keep checking because it's current in the moment information. <laughs> right. You know, just like in the relationship that I was in with this man from Paris, you know, that was an extremely difficult relationship. But the intuition was stay, 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 stay. And then one morning I got up and the first thing I noticed was it felt like something had changed, but I didn't even know what that something was. But it was almost as if I could feel that the universe in some way had shifted. And when I sat down in contemplation that day, I was then told, um, you know, because I did still hear an inner voice then. Now I don't. So now I have the same quiet intuition everybody else has. But then I did hear an inner voice and I was told um, that he was beginning to feel possessed. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like he, he wasn't feeling free in this relationship. He was feeling captured and that love does not possess. And so what we needed to do was let him go now. And, uh, and that's how that happened. It was love that ended that relationship. Um, there was no grievance. There was no fight. There was no, I got to get out of here. Uh, maybe there was on his part. Um, but you, but were, there wasn't, you were at peace. But I was the one that received the guidance in the relationship. Yeah. And it was love. Love was, he doesn't want to be here. We have to let him go. You know, we have to set him free. Uh, he's not, he's not willing for this anymore. We have to let him go. And so so that's what. So it's interesting. Your description earlier in the interview was that he was the one that wanted to leave. Uh, yes. But at this level, you were the one that got the buzz. Yeah. In fact, the, the story is um, that what happened, uh, he was out the night before walking my dog. He was a night person. And I was a day person, one of the, our differences. So he was literally walking the dog at midnight and I'm sound asleep. And uh, while he's walking the dog, he said a prayer uh, and he he uh, he asked. He said, "I he said I want to serve my father, meaning the heavenly father. I want to serve my father, but can't I have fun too?" Um, and what he meant by fun was he didn't want to be in a relationship with a woman who had a child living in you know uh, Albemarle, North Carolina. You know he he just wanted a different life. I knew nothing about this. And then I woke up the next morning and received that guidance that he was feeling possessed and that we needed to let him go. When he woke up, which was much later, you know, he woke up like 11, 12, 1. <laughs> I got up like 6. So when he woke up, uh, I told him that I had received guidance, that it was time to end the relationship. And at first he looked shocked because, again, we never even talked about ending the relationship. And then this big smile crossed his face. 
And then he told me the story about his prayer the night before. <laughs> wow. We're, we're the last to know. <laughs> yeah. So so that's why I say he's the one that wanted out, but I'm the one who ended it. And it was and you can see it's love in action. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That that that's that the, the juxtaposition of those two things is just precious. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Another area that uh, I observe many uh, serious spiritual students having challenges with is um, in their relationship to money. <sighs> and, uh, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about that. You know, one thought I have is that as they open up to truth, they open up to the laws of creation and the laws of abundance. And then trying to interface with a monetary system on planet earth that is grounded in scarcity consciousness and manipulation and greed um, is extremely challenging. And, uh, you know, some light workers are guided to actually attempt to shift that particular system and other others just have to deal with it. Uh, what has been your experience both, as a person in the world that needs to live and support yourself. And I don't know if you're still supporting your, yes. da- your daughter. Yes. I'm, I'm paying for college right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> so you're interfacing with the monetary system and then your experience of working with hundreds of students, any thoughts on that whole game? Yeah, well, I can I can tell the story. It's not going to be a new story. You know, I mean, people have heard it from other teachers before, but at some point, um, you need to trust it. <laughs> and uh, I, I had I had all of these fears. I cannot tell you how much fear came up for me when I was guided to leave my job uh, and move to North Carolina. Um, first of all, what people may not know about me if they don't know me is that I am uh, a single mother in that I adopted my daughter from China as a single mother. So there is no legal father anywhere. There's no one to pay any child support, anything like that. I am uh, legally the sole, the sole person responsible for her upbringing. And so when I'm guided to, to give up my job, uh, that terrified me. Uh, and, and the story that the ego was using to get my attention at that time was something like, well, this is all fine and dandy for you if you want to you know, give up your, your, your life and go follow God. But she didn't choose this. You know, she's the, the little innocent victim. She was seven at the time. She's the little innocent victim of your choices, and she's going to suffer. Um, and that story really created a lot of fear until it was brought to my attention through a friend that it was a story that I was listening to a story. I mean, that was just like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I was taking it as a fact. And, you know, um, and then after that, there were years of, um, first of all, I had a certain amount of money, not a lot of money. I owned a home in Boston, Massachusetts, and I had bought it when the market was lower and the market had increased. And I, fortunately, I sold it before the market crashed. And so I had enough money that when I moved to North Carolina, which was cheaper, I was able to pay cash for a house. I had also paid cash for my car. Uh, I didn't have any credit card debt. Uh, I didn't have any debt at all. And everything that one needs was paid for. And then I still had $50,000 left over. Um, So I wasn't broke. Um, but what would happen is when I would pay like the electric bill, buy groceries, that kind of thing, I'm watching that number go down, down, down. And we live very cheaply. There's nothing to do in, in Albemarle, North Carolina. So we actually lived on that 50000 for four years. 
Um, but I'm watching it go down, down, down. And this brought up a lot of fear. One of the things that happened in that relationship with the man from Paris is that when he came, he came with um, no money. And he, he began to spend my money. I was supporting him. He was, uh, even though he had no money of his own, he was raised in a, in a, in a wealthy family. And so he was used to having the best of everything. And in fact, his identity thought that he had to have the best of everything. So while I'm being frugal, you know, and buying like 97 cent butter, uh, he wants the $5 butter. Uh, you know, he just, he just wanted everything expensive. And, you know, my ego just went crazy about this. And m most people are not going to be able to understand this, uh, even though what I'm telling is completely true. You know, I, I had this absolute panic about the money and how he was spending and, and it hated him for it. And uh, the guidance that I received from within was to give him the checkbook, put his name on the checking account, give him the checkbook and, and just let whatever was going to happen, happen. He had never even had a checkbook before. I had to teach him how to, you know, how to use a checkbook. Um, and that's what I did. I gave him the checkbook and, and I mean, oh my gosh, just all of this energy would come up, this panic, this rage, this anger, this hatred. And I w watched it and I just stuck to the guidance. I mean, I just, this is where willingness comes in, right? <laughs> I was willing to, to see beyond lack. And so willing enough that I went through this, giving this, this, you know, in my ego's mind, this crazy spending maniac my checkbook right um well it got to where um you know after you know a certain period of time where there was peace you know there was peace uh there was trust i didn't know how the the, the experience was i don't know how we're going to make it i just know that we are that was really the experience and uh it was around that time, not much after that, that the relationship ended. And when he gave me the checkbook, it was just such a mess. <laughs> but I went through and I, and I, you know, went through and kind of balanced it out and found all kinds of errors. And uh, fortunately, the, he had made many, many errors, but I ended up having $3,000 more than I thought. And now we're down to the last, you know, we were down to like under a 10,000. So finding 3,000 was like a bonanza. You know, the mistakes he had made had money in there. There was money in there I didn't know about. But um, that kind of ended my, my fear of money. And then what started happening after that um, was I started receiving prompts to give money, give money. And whenever I was prompted to give money, not only would the prompt come to give, but how much. And it was always more than my thinking mind would have thought that I could give. But I just decided to trust these prompts. And in fact, I still do. Um, and I... I you know, comparatively to the average American, you know, if you look at percentage of what I earn, I give away an enormous um, amount of my money. Uh, I never look and I never ask, can I afford it? I never look to see if there's something I need first before I give it. Uh, if there's a prompt, I, I give it. I give first. I, you know, but it's following intuition. It's not the head. Uh, but I always give when I'm prompted to give and I always give the amount and, and that's it. And the only thing I can say about my money now is that it's an absolute miracle. I can't, ex I look at my checkbook and I can't figure out why there's that much money in there. Like there shouldn't be based on how much money I've given away, based on how much money I spent on my own bills. I should be in trouble financially and I'm not. Uh, 
college. I'm, I'm, my daughter is going to university. We, are, we do not have any grants or anything. Uh, there, is a, a, there is one automatic grant that everybody in Colorado gets. It's, it's, the, it's called the COF, Colorado something. She knows the name of it, but everybody gets it. It's not special. We don't have any special help. And I'm amazed at how easy I'm finding it is to pay for college. Like every month when the bill comes, I have the money to pay the bill and I pay the bill. And it's, it's all happening in a miraculous way that I don't understand. <laughs> and, this, okay. and the only way for people to find out this is true is to, is to begin doing what they've already heard many other teachers tell them that, you know, you can't cling to your money. You know, you, you really have to feel those prompts and feel to give and follow it and trust. And it's only by doing it that you will learn the truth of how this works. Did you ever have physical plane conversations with this gentleman about feeling like there was an out-of-balanceness in what was going on there? Or were you guided to just leave it alone at that level? Yeah, once prior to the guidance coming to give him the checkbook, when I was just enraged, yes, I had lots of very angry, hateful conversations with him, but it didn't move anything. Um, once I, the guidance came to give him the checkbook and to not look, not think, just leave it alone, that's what I did. Interesting. Interesting. Um, one of the things I'd like to talk about is we talked a little bit about some of the challenges or blind spots you see people who come to the spiritual path first from a non-dual approach. I'd like to ask you the same question about people who come to the spiritual path from more of a uh, self-actualization, love, attraction approach. Hmm. Um, I see uh, a lot of people who come at it from that angle also uh, covering up a lot of avoidance and uh, yet uh, I think there's something really important about using one's imagination if they're inspired to about vibrational impeccability uh, being able to maintain a vibration regardless of what is going on circumstantially or even experientially to some extent, and the, um, the importance of passion and desire when it's true desire. And I just wanted to give you a chance to also talk about what you see. I don't know if you get a lot of these people or they just don't find you, but, yeah, yeah, they're, they're not, yeah, but, there, but there are, you know, like right now I'm, uh, I'm doing a deep dive into the teachings of Bentinho Massaro. And, oh, yes, I know Bentinho. He lives yeah. near here. Yeah, and so a lot of people come at it from the non-dual approach to Bentinho, and a lot of people come at, at approach Bentinho from having been immersed in like Abraham Hicks' uh, law of attraction, uh, Bashar-type teachings. And, uh, you know, I agree with Bentinho that, um, that, that there needs to be an integration of uh, self-realization and self-actualization uh, teachings, um, but my big concern is that a lot of pe a lot of people that focus on the uh, law of attraction teachings attract students who want to who use that teaching as a way 
that ultimately just bolsters bolsters up ego-based consciousness. And so I wanted to open that up in case there was anything you wanted to say about about that. Yeah, there are a couple of things I can say. One is Bentinho, um, Bentinho was a, a speaker at an Awakening Together fall retreat uh, a couple of years ago here in Colorado. And during that retreat, there were some girls that had gotten together the night before and kind of formulated the question they wanted to ask Bentinho. And then they asked the question as a group. And I don't remember the details of their question, um, but I do remember that it was clear to me, who, who was listening from the back, that they wanted to use the law of attraction, uh, you know, you could say for selfish purposes, you know, you know like to get the, the guy or something like that. Right. I, I don't remember what it was. And, um, and I will tell you that Bentinho refused to answer their question. Um, he, he, he made it clear that that was not the purpose of his teaching. Um, so uh, I just thought that that was interesting, that they had no desire at all in their question for awakening, for knowing the true self, for realizing who they were, and he would not respond to them. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to say was uh, when, I, when I was growing up spiritually, growing up spiritually, you know, I was introduced to a lot of things by different people and I was still learning discernment and I still had my periods of confusion. You know, I wasn't born clear, right? Clarity is something that has come as I've gone through purification. Um, I, I mean, there was always clarity there, but there was also confusion, you know, going back and forth. That's why they call it the split mind. And one thing that happened for me is that uh, I saw the secret back when the secret was really popular. And uh, without realizing that I had lots of false beliefs that were still blocking me, especially what I call the I am bad belief, the I am not good enough belief, uh, I started wanting to use the secret to attract certain things. And what I didn't see then was the real reason I wanted to attract these things is I thought that if I had this, you know, this experience and this life, and then I'll be good enough. You know, I, I was really using it to cover up a false belief that needed to be seen and let go. I didn't see that. Um, but when I created my list of things I wanted to attract, um, I received guidance from the Holy Spirit to, um, to let it give me another list and to use the law of attraction on that list instead of my list. Beautiful. And so I agreed. And so I actually still have the list hanging right next to my desk. Um, I don't use the law of attraction with it anymore because it's pretty much been achieved. But I, I was asked to use visioning and all that stuff they teach. But here's the list. Uh, number one, uh, I want to listen to guidance in all things. In other words, you know, that would help me, that helped me to get in touch with that intuition I talked about. Number two, I want joy for everyone. And by the way, there's a little paragraph under each of these. Um, if you, do we have time if I read the little paragraphs? Because they bring more insight. Uh, probably maybe not in this interview, but if, okay. we, if we do another one, we can focus. Okay, on yeah. That. I felt we were running out of time. So I will just say on the joy for everyone, that was about using my mind to extend joy. And then number three, I want to be helpful in all that I do. Number four, I want to have faith in my truth and to bring only my truth into my awareness. 
And number five, I want to know my connection to all things and to know all things as myself. And then, like I said, that each one came also with a paragraph of further explanation for visioning. But I was taught to use those practices of the law of attraction and, you know, what we could now call like the teachings of Bentinho, although I didn't know him then, to use it on these spiritual uh, goals or visions. And, um, and it worked. It brought these into my experience. I became very, very clear on intuition. Uh, I got to where I'm able to have joy in my mind at all times and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so really it depends on whether people are using those attraction tools for selfishness or for awakening. Um, if they're using them for selfishness, that's not, even though that word sounds like a judgmental word, I don't mean in a judgmental way. It's kind of like being a dog chasing your tail, you know, like you may be able to attract the relationship or you may be able to track something else, but it's not going to bring the happiness and the joy that one expected. Uh, the only thing that's going to bring that happiness, that joy, that peace is awakening to truth. And so to use those same visioning skills to move towards truth uh, can be very, very helpful. I love that. And then just for clarification, uh, Bentinho does have a very powerful aspect of his teaching, which he calls self-realization, which is separate and apart from his teachings on self-actualization and the law of attraction. So I didn't want people to get the idea that Bentinho's teaching was simply focused on the law of attraction. Yeah, like I said, he wouldn't even answer the girl's question when, when they were only at that level. He just, he just wouldn't even answer them. <laughs> it's really not his purpose. But many people listening to him don't know that. Right. Right. He, yeah. So um, what are you most excited about these days? What am I most? Well, um, I, I, even though I have been teaching for years, I have never um, had what I would call students. Like I just teach. And if somebody hears me, great. And if somebody doesn't, great. I've never been focused on individuals. And uh, what I started receiving in October this year was guidance um, to take on students and to be very focused on a group of committed students and help them directly through the purification process, kind of walk through the tunnel with them. And so there's a new group that's starting in January of this year. Large numbers of people have told me they're coming, but what I expect is they won't all last. I expect it will be kind of a, you know, one of a, you know, people will take themselves out of it. And what I'll end up with is the group of people that I'm supposed to work with. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that, working with a committed group of students and helping them to, to follow in my footsteps. How do people uh, find out about that? Is that through the church, and or, do, or are there two different access points for that? Yeah, there are two different access points, although through the church is the easiest. The one access point is if you happen to live here in Pueblo, we'll be getting together in person. So if anybody hearing this lives in Pueblo <laughs> and, and you want to come, then get in touch with me and I'll tell you where to come to. But we're also going to be simultaneously meeting with everyone else in the world who wants to be a part of it in the online sanctuary. Awakening Together has an online sanctuary and people can learn about that if they go to Awakening hyphen together.org click on the sanctuary menu you'll see where it talks about enter the sanctuary you can learn how to enter the sanctuary there uh, you could also listen on we have an internet radio so you can listen on the internet radio you can find that under sanctuary listen live and there will be recordings 
and the recordings will be posted and that will be at awakening-together.org under audios, sanctuary highlights, and then it's going to be called the Gentle Healing Group. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that people can participate. It will start on January 10th. Um, I think that the real committed students, most of the committed students will end up participating live, either in person or in the sanctuary. Uh, that's just what I imagine. You know, they'll be right there because it's not going to be lecture. It's going to be discussion. Right. Um, but if somebody absolutely can't make the time of the meeting, the audios will also be available and they could go through it through that as well. Um, but I'm really hoping, you know, to be interacting directly with people on a weekly basis. And there will be things that will, people will be asked to do in between because this is a full commitment. You know, I didn't do this by going to a meeting once a week for two hours and doing nothing in between. Um, so it, it's going to be guided uh, and there'll be, you know, help. I'll be there to help. Uh, but basically, people are going to have to make the commitment and, and do it themselves because <laughs> that's really the way that you do it. Well, let me know if I can support that in any way. I, I've been feeling a similar urge to uh, consolidate and work with a smaller group of serious students. So if there's anything I can do to support you there, please feel free to let me know. And, right. and I want to leave the last word to you and your guidance today. Is there anything you would like to say in closing today? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I'm sure people have noticed there's a lot going on in the world and that the future, you know, from a worldly perspective seems maybe more uncertain now than it has in recent times, you know. Of course, the world goes through cycles, you know, easier and harder times. But right now, especially on the spiritual path, I, I, I see a lot of people uh, being fearful about the future, um, distrustful sometimes of our new president-elect, for example. Um, and I just want to remind everyone that the, if you want to be truly helpful, uh, the best thing that you can do is be at peace. And so, uh, you know, you don't want to fake peace. In fact, you can't really fake peace. But that means that if there's anything that's being brought up in you now by our president-elect, by ISIS, by other terrorist groups, by anything at all that's happening in the world, um, look at it, use it for purification, just like I did that relationship. That's what it's for. And if you use it for purification, you will get to a genuine peace where um, the world doesn't have to get better for you to be happy. And then when you are at that genuine peace, your beingness itself is, is helping the world. Even if you appear to be doing nothing, you're nothing at all. Your beingness itself is, is being helpful. So, uh, hating, you know, uh, someone, you know, fighting against someone or something, that's not the way to do it. It's become pure, be at peace. And then if there's something you're guided to do from a peaceful place, you will know it. But don't pretend. Pretending isn't helpful. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. My special guest today has been spiritual teacher and guide, Regina Dawn Akers. And you can learn more about what she's currently up to at awakening-together.org. So thank you, Regina. And with that, 
will close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.